the sweetest. It's beautiful to hear God's people singing God's praises in person. Uh, thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. I will be reading in First Peter and chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Beth, for reading. Uh, good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here. So good to see this room relatively filled. At least the chairs are filled, even if the room isn't filled. Thanks for being here. For those of you that are still watching online this morning and are on our live stream service, thank you for taking time out, for stopping whatever you're doing, pulling out the the laptop or the phone, whatever you're using this morning and connecting with us for this service. Appreciate your being here. Um, you know, I'm still adjusting to uh, uh, mask life, as some of you are, and some are wearing, some are not this morning here in this second service, but um, first service, everybody was wearing the mask, and so I was, until I walked up here, I was as well, and I was sharing with them that uh, I'm, I'm starting to feel the weight on my ears, if you know what I mean. So I wear a hearing aid on this ear. I have this device, you know, the, the, the uh, microphone on this ear. When I put a mask, that's two more th wraps around the ears. And then if I put my glasses on, those are hanging on my ears. So if my ears look like they're starting to sag in the next few weeks, you, you'll know why. And maybe yours are too. Check that out. Um, it, it's, but this is so refreshing to be able to be back in person, even with the measures that we're taking but as Jason said, as many of you have been commenting, just to be back in fellowship as the body of Christ. So thank you for making the effort to be here and being patient with us through this process. Uh, really just do appreciate Trinity and all the ways that you have stayed connected through these past months. And as Dave said, continue to give. And as many of you participated yesterday in our day of prayer, so vital to our coming back together that we we do that in prayer, so just to have 18 hours knowing that there are people from Trinity praying at all different times through the day yesterday, so those of you that participated, and I know there were many, thank you for um, bathing this church and community and our world in prayer right now, desperately needed. And uh, I know we had another group of people that went to uh, the pregnancy center and helped out another work day this past week. And Wayne, thanks so much for organizing that, for kind of being our, yeah, praise the Lord for the work and for him working through you. And uh, we're going to be hearing soon about, about the startup of this, the restart of this ministry in a new location. So 
Pregnancy Center in Jasper is one of our partner ministries, so, so thrilled to see what God is doing there. And uh, let me just say before I pray for us and we jump into our passage this morning, <clears throat> we're starting this series in 1 Peter today. 1 Peter has five chapters. So if you read one chapter a day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday are makeup days if you miss a day, <laughs> you can read through the book of 1 Peter once a week, every week for the time we're in this series. Now, Jason and I haven't quite figured out how long it's going to take us, so a couple of months maybe. Probably through the summer we'll be in this. But by the time we finish this series, if you've read the book of First Peter once a week, every week, you will know that book well. It will have, you, you'll have been immersed in it, not only from Sunday morning, but from reading it through the week. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, whatever device you use or you have a Bible at home that you just love, whatever translation you prefer, read the book of 1 Peter once a week through this series. God will use that to bless you, I promise you. So let's go to him in prayer right now as we dive into this book. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity this morning. Thank you for a beautiful day and thank you for the very air that we breathe. That's something we tend to take for granted and We've learned in these past months we can't even take that for granted anymore. So, Lord, we thank you for your protection. Thank you for health and safety. Thank you for working in us as a church for ways that you've stretched us and grown us, even in this time of separation. Uh, Lord, we see that as from you. These are blessings from you. It's opportunities to grow in our faith. So we thank you for that. But, Lord, we do appreciate this opportunity to be back in face-to-face fellowship. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning as we do this, you will teach us through your word, by your spirit, guard my words, Lord, help me to rightly, accurately communicate your word this morning for us and help us get a glimpse of what this study of 1 Peter is going to be for us, what it will do in our lives as we listen to you. And Lord, in this time especially, as Jason prayed earlier, Lord, just this, the reminder that Our world is in so desperate need of this message of hope, of living hope. Lord, our world is torn apart by racism, by hatred, by anger. And we know, Lord, that the the remedy is in you. You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? as your followers said. Lord, we come to you this morning. Remind us of what you've said to us so that we can say it to others, so that we can communicate your truth about this living hope to other people in our world who desperately need to hear it. So teach us this morning, we pray, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So today is June 14th. It is Flag Day, but June 14th has also been special, always been special in my life because it's also my dad's birthday. So today, if my dad was still alive, he would be 85 today. He passed away about 11 years ago, but of course I still have tons of memories and maybe especially on a day like this that's a a special day in his life, I'm reminded. And today I was thinking about, this week I was thinking about nicknames that my dad gave to me when I was a kid. And my dad had names for myself and my sister. They were affectionate names, but sometimes they were just plain weird. I mean, they were just off the wall, and and sometimes I didn't even know where they came from. So one of his nicknames for me was Skinny Malink the Barber. That's what he would call me. Now, the skinny part worked because I was always kind of a scrawny kid, and so I understood that. But the barber part, I never, never knew where that came from. 
And, and I never questioned, I never asked him about it. And he never told me where that phrase came from. I always thought he just made it up. Well, this past week, when I was thinking about this again and I remembered that, that nickname, I thought, did he just make that up or did that, does that come from somewhere? So I looked it up. You couldn't have done this when I was a kid, didn't have Google, but now you did a Google search and I looked it up and I found a limerick, a, a poem that has that phrase in it, that nickname in it. So if I can open my, my iPad here, here, here's how it goes. Skinny Malink the barber went to shave his father. The razor slipped, he cut his lip, Skinny Malink the barber. That's a limerick. Now, my dad never told me the whole limerick. I mean, never did the shaving part. He just called me Skinny Malink the barber. He also called me, here's another nickname, he called me a brown carrot with a fuzzy top. Now, that one, I looked that up. No, that's original. No, that's not anywhere on the net. So um, he made that one up. And I think mainly because it was in the summertime, I would tan quickly and deeply. And so I was the brown carrot. And my, I would let my hair grow. I had to cut it for school. But I let it grow in the summer. So the fuzzy top fit. So it just is the name that stuck. But the nickname that was most often used by my dad of me was the name Sunshine. With an O. I was his only son. And as I reflect back on that, again, I don't think it maybe meant as much to me as a kid, but now I look back and that meant a lot. That I was a ray of sunshine, of light in some way in his life. If Jesus were to give you a nickname, what would it be? What do you think Jesus would call you? You ever thought about that? That's kind of an odd thing to th consider, but what would Jesus call you because it happens in our passage this morning. Simon was a Galilean fisherman. His brother Andrew was the first to find Jesus and when he found Jesus he went and got Simon and he brought him to Jesus and said you got to meet this man. And so he comes Simon comes to Jesus, and the very first thing that happens is recorded in John 1.42. The words will be on the screen. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, which as you probably know means rock. The first thing Jesus says is, I'm going to call you the rock. Now, if you use that name and that nickname in our day and age, you probably think of this guy. Put his picture up on the screen. All right. That's the rock, right? So Dwayne Johnson pulled that name. Now, he gave himself that name, as I understand. Nobody else did. He, when he went into his professional wrestling career, he called himself the rock. It stuck even through his acting career and into today. He's still known as the rock. But Peter was given that name by Jesus. He didn't take it on himself. He had always gone by Simon, or the Hebrew version would have been Simeon. Peter is called the rock. Now, I don't know how Peter felt about that. You know, it's like, why is this guy calling me a rock? What does he mean? Peter probably didn't understand it at the time. He maybe didn't feel much like a rock. And it took him a while, I think, to grow into that name, but he did. Some 35 years later, when Peter writes a letter to these believers in Asia Minor, he uses that nickname. He doesn't even call himself Simon. He says, Peter. This summer we're going to study this letter, Peter's first letter. So if you have your Bible, 
Please turn there. If you brought your phone, electronic device of some sort, turn there. Get to 1 Peter. It's near, near the end of the first, test, of the first Testament, of the New Testament. It's uh, Hebrews and James and then 1 and 2 Peter, then 1 and 2 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. So you can start at the back and back up to it if you need to get to it that way. The content of this letter, I think, is most meaningful if you know something about the author, if, if you know something about the recipients of the letter, who is he writing this to? And so that's where we're going to start today, just with the very first two verses of the letter, basically, and then look at the theme of the book. So we're starting right there, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What do we know about Peter? Well, here's the first thing today is that the author, Peter, knows what it takes to follow Jesus. He knows what this is like, what this life is like in following Jesus. Because for three years, Simon Peter walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He listened to his teaching. He probably saw more miracles than basically anybody else. Peter, as we know from his personality, was just kind of born to be a little brash and impulsive. It comes through in the Gospels, and yet Jesus just patiently loves him and mentors him. And Peter emerges as a leader of the disciples, right? He is one of the inner circle, Peter and James and John, closest to Jesus, sometimes walking with Jesus when nobody else was around. So I want to look at a couple snapshots from Peter's interactions with Jesus. We're going to go back to the Gospels before we go any further in 1 Peter because I want you to, I want you to know this man. We're going to start in Luke 5. You probably know the story, so it's soon after Jesus and, and Peter have met. And Jesus is with them out on the Sea of Galilee and they're on the shore and he's teaching and the crowds begins to push in and Jesus is running out of room. So without going into the, into the water, he gets into Peter's boat and he teaches from the boat and the crowd's up on the shore. And he finishes teaching. Peter, Peter is there in the boat with him and Jesus says to him, hey, let's go fishing. Cast off. Let's, let's get out there. Now, Peter and his buddies had been fishing all night long. They hadn't caught a thing. They knew this was not a good time to go fishing. Peter knew they weren't going to catch anything out there. He's hearing Jesus say this. He's, Gee, this guy's a carpenter. What does he know about fishing? We're not going to catch any fish. But he defers to Jesus. They go out there, and you know what happens. Jesus says, throw your, cat, your nets in. They throw the nets in, and they bring in so many fish, they can't even get them in the boat. The boat won't even hold the fish in their net. And when I read this story, I just picture Jesus sitting in the boat and just laughing, <laughs> just watching these fishermen who didn't really want to fish, didn't think they were going to catch anything, catching more than they can even bring in the boat. He just had to be laughing. But Peter wasn't laughing. Do you remember what happened to Peter? He is so taken. He realizes right off, this is a miracle. He realizes that this Jesus, who he's just recently met, has divine power. So Peter, in the boat, falls on his face at the feet of Jesus, and he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He's humble. Now, it's a little odd thing to say when you're out in the middle of a lake, get away from me. There wasn't really anywhere for Jesus to go. But the humility of Peter recognizing his own sinfulness in the presence of Jesus, it's a great place to start. Matthew 14, another snapshot of Peter. He's out in the boat again, no surprise there. 
out in the boat, the Sea of Galilee, but this time the disciples are there, but Jesus is not with them. He stayed on the, on the shore to pray. In the middle of the night, they're out on the water, and the storm blows in, and they're being tossed back and forth. And all of a sudden, they see this image of somebody out on the water. They think at first it's a ghost, and they, they cry out, and they look, no, it looks like Jesus, and it's Peter. Peter is the one who says, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. He doesn't sit in the boat and wait for Jesus to get to him. He says, let me come to you. He gets out of the boat, and Jesus invites him, and he walks on water. Well, for a few steps, until he sees the wind and the waves, he begins to doubt, he begins to sink, and Jesus grabs a hold of him, pulls him out, brings him back to the boat, says, oh, you have a little faith, not just to Peter, to the disciples, because though Peter's faith failed in the water, his faith at least got him out of the boat. He's learning. He's taking steps toward Jesus. And so when you get to Matthew 16, next snapshot, this maybe is Peter's finest moment. And this is great. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Some people say you're the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Jeremiah. But Jesus says, who do you say I am? And it's Peter. Without hesitating, <laughs> he says, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. A proclamation of Jesus and His person, His character, His deity. He got it right. <clears throat> and maybe he got a little overconfident because Matthew goes on to tell us just a short time later, Jesus begins to explain that he, He's going to die. He tells Him about His impending death. And, and it's Peter who comes alongside of Jesus and just kind of takes him and says, come on over, Jesus, Jesus, wait a minute. Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. Peter, being his defender, I'm not going to let this happen to you. But there's a couple things wrong with that. For one thing, you don't say never to Jesus. And it's really not a good idea to pull him aside and to rebuke Jesus. So Peter kind of gets ahead of himself. He, he doesn't know the plan. He thinks he has a good plan for Jesus, but he doesn't understand the real plan for Jesus' life and death. So fast forward to the last night for another snapshot. Jesus is with the disciples the night before his death in the upper room, John 13. And now Jesus is washing their feet, washing their dirty, stinky feet to show them how much he loves them, to show them what it means to be a servant leader. And he comes to Peter. What does Peter do? pulls back his feet and says, never, Lord. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And then Peter goes overboard and he says, well, then wash all of me. He still doesn't quite get it. But at least he humbles himself again. He lets Jesus wash his feet. And you would think, okay, now he's learned. He better learn now because the time is short. And so they, they, they celebrate the Passover meal. And at the end of the meal, Jesus begins to tell them that he's going to be taken away and that they're going to fall away. And it's Peter who says, never, Lord, I will never fall away. I will be with you to the end, even if it means going to death, Peter says. And Jesus, of course, says, Peter. 
before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So, these snapshots of Peter, you have to ask the question, was, was Peter a failure? Well, yes and no. Because in his own strength, Peter oftentimes failed to understand, failed to get it, failed to fully believe. But every time that happened, he was learning. He was growing. Jesus was teaching him, bringing him along. And so in the sense that he was becoming the rock, he was not failing. His failures prepared him to serve. And you see that in this next passage, another snapshot, Luke 22. Still in the upper room, Jesus has predicted Peter's denial. But then what he says here, I love this verse. Peter says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, to know that Jesus is going to be praying for you? For Jesus to know, yes, Peter, you're going to deny me, you're going to fail me, but I'm going to pray that your faith doesn't collapse completely. And when you come back, when you repent, then you will be better prepared to go and strengthen your brothers. Which is exactly what he does in the letter of 1 Peter. To those recipients and to countless others in the 2,000 years since, including us, Peter would know how to strengthen others because of his failures. So the last snapshot, John 21. I love this scene too. After the resurrection, and Peter, Peter says to the other disciples, hey, we've got to do something here. I'm not sure what to do, so let's go fishing. They go back to the sea. They get back in the boat. They're out fishing. They're not catching anything. I don't think Peter was a very good fisherman. I don't know how I want to judge him, but whenever the Bible talks about him, he's never catching fish unless Jesus is there. So Jesus shows up on the shore. He says, hey, throw your nets in the other side. They do that. They catch all these fish again just like before, a repeat of that miracle. And I think as soon as Peter sees those full nets again, he knows that's Jesus on the shore. I didn't know it before, but I know it now. He jumps in the water. He swims. He doesn't walk on the water this time. He swims in the water back to Jesus. And they have a little walk and a little talk along the shore. Remember what Jesus says? He asks Peter, do you love me? And he says to Peter three times, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And Peter does. He is restored to his ministry calling by Jesus, and he gets it, and he knows now what Jesus wants him to do, what it's going to mean to be the rock, what it means to be a shepherd. And so the church is born at Pentecost. Just 10 days after Jesus ascends, the church is born, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the first gospel message. And 3,000 people come to faith that day. That's quite a first sermon. And for nearly 40 years after that, Peter led the church. He proclaimed the gospel. He fed the sheep of Jesus. And tradition says he was martyred in Rome about A.D. 68, crucified upside down. It's strange to me that we only have two letters from Peter 
that have been preserved for us in the Bible. I have to think in all those years of ministry, he must have written more, but only two come to us. That makes them extra special. And this letter that we're looking at, 1 Peter, says specifically in the last chapter that Peter is joined by John Mark. He calls him his son, probably meaning not literal, physical son, but his son in the faith. It means that Peter was probably the one who brought John Mark to faith. And as you know, John Mark is also the author of the second gospel, the gospel of Mark. And scholars believe it's very likely because of their connection that we know about from 1 Peter 5, that it was Peter's description of his life, all these snapshots that we just looked at, he must have told those stories to Mark who wrote them down in his gospel. So this first letter of Peter was written about A.D. 64. It's right about the time that, that the Roman emperor Nero began his persecution of Christians all across the empire. And so in this letter, Peter is drawing on three years of walking with Jesus and following Him on earth and another 30-plus years of following Jesus in the Spirit. And as we study this letter, we're going to hear from a man who knew his faults and failures. This is what we know about Peter. He understood his faults and failures. They were very clear to him. Here's a man who had been humbled and yet had been lifted up. Here's a man who sank but came back to the surface by the hand of Jesus. Here's a man who often, too many times, put his foot in his mouth but a man who then learned how to use his mouth to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how Peter became the rock. Through the patient work of Jesus Christ in his life. This man who failed Jesus but had been forgiven and restored to be able to serve Jesus. And so... That's why this book is so wonderful for us because if you want to hear from somebody who knew Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who was ministered to by Jesus, who was given a nickname by Jesus, if you want to learn what it really means to be a follower of Jesus from somebody who learned it step by step by step, then you need this book of 1 Peter. You need to study this, and I encourage you to hang with us, stay with us, follow this series, read this book, study this book, let it become part of you so you can be a follower of Jesus like Peter. Who did he write this message to? Take just a couple minutes to look at the recipients of this letter because what we, what we discover is the recipients know what it's like to be scattered exiles. Scattered exiles. Some interesting words that Peter uses to describe these recipients. So look at the second half of verse 1. Peter says he's writing to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, unlike Paul, who usually wrote to specific churches in specific cities, you note that from Paul's letters, Peter is writing here to Christians scattered all over a large area. We put a map up here on the screen. And those of you at home can see it on your screen as well. It, it, it's this northern Asia Minor, parts that, that Peter, uh, Paul mostly stayed in the southern part, down in some of those cities. Peter is writing to these churches up in northern Asia Minor, what is today northern Turkey. 
And so the letter was intended apparently to be circulated among probably a lot of churches, maybe some house groups, maybe even to individual Christians who read this letter all across these five Roman provinces. And the interesting thing is we don't know. We don't have any record that Peter ever visited this area and visited these churches or started these churches. Perhaps he did, but we don't have any evidence of that. But even if he didn't, surely these people knew about Peter. And he was pretty well known, leader in the church in Jerusalem where everything started. And so they would have known who Peter was even if he had never gone there. And in fact, interestingly, if you go back to Acts 2, two of these areas, Pontus and Asia, are named when Acts 2 talks about the people who were coming, the Jews who were coming for Pentecost, for that festival. And so it's very likely that some people who live in these areas came to Jews, came to this area for this festival on Pentecost. They heard Peter's message. Some of them probably were of those 3,000 who accepted that message, put their faith in Jesus Christ, and went back to these areas and planted churches. So the gospel took root. The gospel began to grow. And now, 30-plus years later, Peter is writing to those believers to encourage their growth, which I think may be why Peter addresses them as the scattered elect. In fact, that word scattered is the word diaspora. Maybe you've heard that word used specifically of Jews who were scattered out in other places outside of, of Judea, out of the promised land. That's the diaspora. So many of these were Jews, Jewish Christians now, scattered, maybe scattered even before they became Christians. But these are also in this those receiving this letter were also Gentiles because you know that from the content. As we go through the content of the letter, you'll see that. The way Peter describes them, many of them were not Jewish background. They were Gentile background. So Peter uses this word elect, chosen of God, to incorporate all of them. That word elect, it just embraces them all, chosen by God, whether Jew or Gentile, scattered all over Asia Minor, maybe even driven there, some of them, by persecution. Because that happened in the early church too. Acts tells us that story. Persecution came and people fled. And these Christians, in God's providence, with them took the gospel to places all over the world, including northern Asia Minor. You know, this, this idea of being scattered, I think we can identify with that maybe a little more now than we... We could a few months ago. Even though we haven't been scattered by being sent away, we've been scattered by being sent home, staying away. And that sense of isolation. And if you've experienced that over the last few months, then maybe that's good. Maybe you have a little better sense of what these people Peter's writing to were feeling too. Feeling a little isolated, like we're way up here in northern Asia Minor. Nobody ever thinks about us. Nobody ever remembers us Christians up here. But we're here, and Peter remembered them, and he writes to them. But in what sense were they called exiles? That, that's, that's a strange word, right? Because when we think of exile, we think of somebody that's maybe because of a crime they've committed. You know, they're sent away, away from everything and on an island by themselves or whatever. That's what we usually think of as exile. But Peter uses the word a little different way. In chapter 2, verse 11, he uses this again. He calls these readers foreigners and exiles. And in this context, in chapter 2, verse 11, he's reminding them that they don't belong to the culture around them. 
So it's a spiritual sense in which they are foreigners and exiles. That they are citizens, as Christians, citizens of heaven, but they are also living on earth. So how do you do that? And that's a lot of what 1 Peter is about, helping us understand how to be these kind of spiritual exiles, different from our culture, yet engaged with our culture, to be in the world but not of the world. That's what 1 Peter helps us with. Knowing that our values, who we are in Christ, sets us apart, makes us different. Exiles in that sense, strangers in that sense, foreigners in that sense. And so you even see that as we continue in verse 2. Peter describes them with this very theological uniqueness of them as Christians. It's a great phrase. He says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Now, there's a lot of deep theological truth right there. We're going to dive into that more as we study the book. But for now, just let this soak in for a minute. Because this, if you know Jesus, this is a description of you. You've been chosen by the Father. You've been washed by the blood of the Son. And you've been sanctified, set apart by the work of the Spirit. The Trinity has you covered. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are at work in you. What a great truth. What a great reminder. The very second verse of this letter reminds us of who we are. You know, when I think of this, this idea of being elect exiles thought of it this week. It made me think of our mission trip this past summer. Beth and I had the privilege of going with a team from Trinity. We went to Poland, but we were ministering to a group from Belarus. So 40 or 50 came over from Belarus, neighboring country. We met in Poland, had an English camp there. Some pictures scrolling through of that, that week we spent there with them. Now, when we showed up in Poland from North Georgia, we didn't know anything. We didn't know the language. We didn't know the culture. We didn't even understand the money. And one of our first days there, we went into this little market not far from the camp in this little Polish town. And some of the locals were there just kind of eyeing us, staring at us. We, I know we looked odd to them. They knew we were foreigners. And I'm sure they were kind of snickering under their breath as we're trying to figure out our money and figure out what does what this cost? Do you have enough money for this? And we're all talking in English. And we, we were an oddity to them, foreigners. But you know, the Christians of that group that came from Belarus and our group from Trinity, we connected immediately. There was an immediate bond. Why? We, we, did, we shared nothing except the bond of Christ. Our faith drew us together immediately because we were the elect and because we shared a common goal. We were all there for that other part of the group from Belarus who were not believers, who were there specifically to learn English and to hear about our faith in Jesus Christ. And that desire, that mission drew us together. Yes, we were exiles, foreigners, but we as the elect had a purpose, a calling that drew us together. So as Christians, in a sense, we're scattered exiles in this world. It's how we live. But we must never forget that we are also the elect. Every one of those words is important. 
We are the elect, and that gives us a mission and a purpose for what, why we're here, that we've been chosen by God to represent Him on this earth, and that we have this bond with other believers, and that bond is there regardless of race or language or culture. It breaks through that. Don't you think our world needs to hear that right now? See, our society tends to focus on what divides us. But the Bible always reminds us of what unites us. And that's what Jesus came to do, to break down that barrier and to bring together those who would follow him. So being scattered exiles, that means that we represent Jesus. It's not... Exiles doesn't mean that we just stay apart, that we stay on our own, that we stay away from those pagans out there. And that's not it at all. It means that we represent the values of Christ. It means that we represent the peace and love that Jesus alone can bring. It means that we have the very words, the very message that our world needs to hear, especially when there is the unrest and the hatred and the division that we see in our nation, our world right now, more than ever. The world needs to hear what we can say. So how can we be confident to do that? How can we be confident to speak out? To represent Christ in a hostile and unbelieving world. How do we do that? Well, the letter of 1 Peter is all about that. That's exactly what Peter is addressing. He's telling these scattered exiles how to live for Christ boldly and firmly in, in a world that was oppressing them and persecuting them. It's the primary theme of Peter's letter, and it, we've used it as the title of the series Title of the song we sang this morning, Living Hope. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In, this, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So don't miss this last phrase because it's kind of the core to the whole message of the letter. We need to know the living hope that only comes from Christ. We need to know what that is. We need to understand it. We need to be able to explain it to other people. We need to live in this hope, and we need to be able to talk about this hope because it's life. Peter says in this letter that we have real hope for a guaranteed future because Jesus is alive. That's what we sang about this morning, right? That's why those songs bring such joy and encouragement to us is because we're proclaiming that Jesus is alive. And Peter's going to emphasize the redeeming work of Christ in his death and his resurrection. He's going to emphasize how that work of Christ translates into living hope that enables us then to live in joy and strength and victory even when we face trials and struggles and persecution. That's the message of 1 Peter. Listen just a couple glimpses of how Peter views hope. They'll be on the screen. Chapter 1, verse 13. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Chapter 1, verse 21. Your faith and hope are in God. Chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
So this living hope, living hope is what sets Christianity apart from the man-made religions of our world. And anybody's attempt to get to God in any other way, this is so different. The living hope sets Christianity apart because it's based on Christ as the living Savior. And as a living Savior, He offers then that life to those who will believe in Him, trust in Him, follow Him. So our hope is based on Jesus because He went to the cross, put our sins in the grave, and He came out of that grave then to put our lives on track for heaven. So listen to this. Here's, here's the kind of summary phrase, if you will, for, t- for today. Your past has been forgiven, and your future is secure in Christ. And because of that, that enables you to then live boldly and obediently with hope because of Jesus Christ. That's the message of 1 Peter. You can live now in the present for Jesus because your sins and past have been forgiven and your future has been secured. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table this morning just a few moments and it's a special time for us for many of you. You have not been able to be here to celebrate together. In fact, only one time in the last three months have we even had it here for the few that were here. So this is special because this is the time when we proclaim as the body of Christ what Jesus has done for us. But as we prepare for this table, I want to make sure we do it this morning in light of what we've just heard from Peter. And we're proclaiming the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ till He comes again. This is a picture at the table. is a picture of our living hope that we've been talking about. It's right here. It's only, we only have this hope because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because He gave His body, that's the bread. Because He shed His blood, that's the cup. Our past has been forgiven. Our future is secure. And so because of that, as we come to this table this morning, we're committing ourselves afresh and anew to live in obedience to the one who gave us that hope. Jesus, our living hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this book, and even though we've only scratched the surface this morning already, you're showing us that we need this message. We need to get a better grasp on what this living hope is all about and how it not only keeps us on track day in daily life, living as believers, as strangers, as aliens in a sense on this earth, but living here with a purpose, living here for a reason, living here with a message, living here with the the values that you've instilled in us that are desperately needed by our society and our, our culture. So, Lord, our prayer is that this morning you will remind us of that, help us have a, a, be motivated to dig into this book, study this well, learn well, and put it into practice. And, Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the living hope that you've given us. Thank you for going to the cross, dying for our sin, so that we could have hope, so that our sins could be forgiven in the past, so that our future could be assured in heaven. Let us live now in light of that living hope.
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.